Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Treasure Talks. In this one, I speak to scuba diving instructor Chris Facey. This podcast isn't necessarily all about diving or all about traveling. It just happens to have teed up that way. The difference with this one to the other episode is Chris's journey is completely different. He's got a different diving role. He teaches people how to dive. Um, He's traveled the world doing so. But what's great is me and Chris go back since we were kids in primary school and I've seen him go from regular jobs in England to deciding that he wants to actually travel the world. He's been to countries such as Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Seychelles and he's recently got back from Tobago. He's got a new venture planned for Fiji coming up soon so that's also exciting stuff as well. It's a really good episode that I just get to sit down in my horrible slippers if you can see the picture on treasuretalks.net if I decided to put it up in the end but we get to just have a bit of a chat and I already know a lot of his story but it's great to sort of peel back more details and inspiration on treasuretalks.net I will put some show notes so you can forward into the information that you want it's also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify I'm guessing you know it's on at least one of those because you're listening on one of them, but it gives you the option then whilst you travel about. So yeah, we are planning on doing another episode together where it's a bit more casual and less travel orientated. But nonetheless, like I say, this is a very exciting and inspirational podcast. Um, There's a lot to learn from people like Chris because he's gone out there and, and done it for himself and experienced a lot of different cultures. So let's get into it. Thanks for joining us. Um, first thing I wanted to ask you, which is a bit random, but how do you know me? Like just so people and listeners can know and get the kind of dynamic from us, because we've been friends for quite a while. Yeah, a long time. So where do you start? Um, well, I suppose we go back to primary school, really, Brownie. Yeah. So I was in reception when you were in year one so yes. I was already a year behind so we're the same well we're pretty much the same age months. but there's a few months separating us but we were enemies before we were friends obviously yeah we weren't <laughs> the best we didn't really have a, a beef but there was a time in year five where I, me- I remember fouling you <laughs> fouling me no, and someone in a I game of football Adam Robbins or might have even been um, Anthony actually she said stop the game and I got a yellow card in playground football and people didn't get a yellow card in football back in school very often so uh, it must have been a bad foul that's what I'm saying but I wanted to get you onto this podcast we've had someone with a diving background but obviously being really close mates and just I've seen your transformation from working in Morrison's and other jobs that you've done and I don't think you really had much without sounding uh, not sounding disrespectful but you didn't have ambition to go and travel the world yeah. or even if you did it probably didn't seem realistic at the time did it but since then where have you been before we go into the diving aspects where have you actually been around the world now around the world um, starting with Vietnam that was really cool um, that was like the tester I remember that that's when because we used to look at the yeah. gap year books didn't we yeah. and what they were is offering like a package kind of travel where you can go and have a look at it but you're quite safe because 
they've got the itinerary for you yeah everything's paid for in advance like your hotels everything's organized like your events and your activities and all that sort of stuff and you get guides that go around with you so it's all pretty safe but it was more of a tester to see if traveling was going to be the right thing i didn't want to book a six months to a year internship or visa and then not like it so i thought a month would be a good little tester to see how it goes what made that happen like what made you suddenly think okay i'm gonna try this test and see if it's for me it clicked for me because i was working at morrison's like you said um pretty much from school so just in case there is any american listeners it's a supermarket yeah. is it in america morrison's? Nah, it's big but not that big yeah, so straight from school you went into Morrison's. Yeah, and then the plan was always to go to uni and do something in sports, coaching or whatever I could get into. Um, but I just put it, I put it off every year. I got into uni. Um, I just put it off every year. And then ended up being, what was it, 22, 23. I got a promotion to actually move store and I moved to a store that was about 45 minutes away. And driving there every day, there and back, and the whole sort of working 50, 60 hours a week, and even looking at it and thinking, I've got no responsibilities, I've got no reason to be doing this sort of thing, I need to go and explore something before I settle into a... Yeah, there was nothing holding you back here but the thought of a career in retail, and I think that's like what happened to me is... You sort of realise that you're getting dragged into that rat race. You're working more and more hours. You're getting stuck in traffic. You're getting angry about getting stuck in yeah. traffic and working too many hours. Yeah. And you're not getting rewarded. I mean, it's not the same for everyone, but I know in a lot of um, supermarkets and the retail industry in general, you don't get rewarded for what you do. No. Because you take it home with you when you're a manager, don't you? I think that's human nature to want to, like, let's say if you want a happy life, you've got to find something that you love to do because... Whatever people do, they end up caring about whether it's a supermarket. Even if you're at home moaning about it, you're still showing that you care in some kind of way. That's and true, I think actually. that's what, what people do, regardless of what they do. Um, and for me, just I got to that point where I was like, what am I even doing? I'm not getting any pride. I'm not getting anything from it. I need to experience more. And it clicked when I went to that job. And I actually didn't take that job, it was like a trial, I didn't take that job, went back to my old store, and then I think there was about a six month gap then from when I actually said, right, I'm gonna plan something to when I when I left. And for that six months, I was absolutely useless to them, to be honest, yeah. but, you know, it is what it is. I've never heard it put that way, but with what you're saying about, you end up caring about it, and whether you're going home and moaning about it, I guess your energy is still in it, so you might as well do something you're passionate about, mm. and then, at least all your energy is going into something you genuinely care about, which is what you've got today. There's nothing wrong with working in retail, and we've both done it, and you did it for a number of years, but if your passion's not there any longer, Mm. then it's time to move on. So going back to what countries you have been to, Vietnam was your first experience. Where did you go after um, that? Came back here, then I went to the Seychelles, um, spent three months out there. Where's the Seychelles? Seychelles is in the Indian Ocean, so you fly from the UK out to Dubai, and then it's like a direct south flight down off the east coast of Africa. Um, and it's if you look on a map, you don't see it, but if you look from Madagascar and then go up like a fingernail sort of length, 
and you have to like really zoom, zoom, zoom into the map to actually find it's that it. small. It's such a small chain of islands. Yeah. Isn't that the island where I don't know if you'll know this, but the famous actor from years ago, Marlon Brando, didn't he have like some conservation projects on that island? There's a, yeah, maybe. There's a lot of different stories there. I've not heard Marlon Brando, and I've heard there's a guy that bought an island in the, I think the 50s or the 60s, bought an island for like 10 grand, 10,000 pounds, and, and he actually lives on the island, and he's got like the big uh, giant tortoises and everything on his island, and he's been offered millions and millions from hotel chains to actually buy his island to build on, and he's refused. Oh, really? He's That's in his crazy. 80s now, there's a documentary about it. Um, there's also, like, the Seychelles is pretty much owned now by Emirates, Um and there's a big artificial island called Eden Island on there, which is where all the bars and the big expensive like villas are and all that sort of stuff. Um, Mahe, the actual main island, is quite built up, but the rest of the islands are really, really small, little chain islands. So. Did you enjoy it there? Yeah, I loved it. Expensive place. Um, and it was really basic what we did. We did a, like a science internship with diving. Um, and we lived six people in a, in a dorm room, no hot water, no air conditioning, no internet. Um, we did that for three months, so it was quite intense. You're living on paradise, but just with like really basic yeah. settings. Yeah, but it was the best way to see it, yeah. really, because it was really authentic. And the diving out there and the, the stuff that we were doing was really cool. It was amazing, because especially that was my first really experience my first real experience in diving apart from diving in a quarry in england was being in the seychelles diving in the yeah, sea and it's, that's a contrast isn't it yeah it's amazing to be fair so. what did you see did you see anything out there look i saw um i remember seeing my first shark i remember that sort of image really vividly like when the the girl that was guiding us pointed out and did the sign for shark um and you just get that weird feeling this is my first shark and what you get all the adrenaline and then you see it and it's not as big as you expected. It's only a little tiny shark, little white tip reef shark. It just cruises past and you can see that as soon as it sees you, it just darts off. And Was that just, like a kind of epiphany moment where you were like, this is what you should have been doing all the time or you, you felt like it was for you from that, that yeah, moment? Yeah, I think I felt like it was from, from me from the first time I ever did diving in the pool when I was learning. Really. Oh, really? Um, I booked all my courses before I actually learned to dive. So I booked my dive master internship and I hadn't even breathed off a scuba cylinder yet. So I sort of went all out for it. And yeah, I've always been happy and comfortable and really enjoy being in the water as well. So it's- That's not the case for everyone, is it? Which I've experienced myself. But I think when you see it on TV or someone just says, I've done scuba diving, you don't really think much apart from, oh, it must be weird to breathe underwater, but then for some people, like myself, it was alien and mm. it's very weird. Yeah. So it's quite a, what you did to commit to it. Yeah. It was a big thing, not knowing whether it was, well, like you said, you knew it was for you, mm. and it obviously was. Yeah. I didn't really think too much about it, to be fair. When I was booking it, I didn't think, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like it. I just sort of, it just didn't really cross my mind that I wouldn't like it. Yeah. So I just went for it, and, and yeah, it worked out, and now I'm still doing it. Well, it did... to be a gap year for a year and I'm still going at 30 this year. So. Well, that's what tends to happen, doesn't it? Like yeah. People go, like they plan a short-term sort of trip and then before you know it, it becomes their life. You went from Seychelles then to Thailand, didn't you, as part of that yeah. that um, internship? 
yeah, so Thailand, it's one of those places you hear about Thailand and it's, when I first started traveling, I went to Vietnam. The reason I sort of picked Vietnam was because it was somewhere different and you hear about everyone going to Thailand and then it's not until you actually go to Thailand that you sort of realize, oh, okay, this yeah. is why everyone comes to Thailand. Because to be honest, it's probably the best place I've worked and the, the best place I've been and just to, feeling at home and feeling sort of taken in by a community in an island. It's probably the, the best place I've ever been in Thailand. So. I felt that the first time I went there. I came to see you whilst you were working out there, well, whilst you were diving out there. And yeah, I just remember feeling like it's so different to what I'm used to, but it's very comfortable and it's they kind of host for mm. Western needs because there's so many... It's becoming a little yeah. bit westernised, probably too much in some places there. But I don't know, for me it was perfect. You mm. just have everything you need still. Um, but then you've gone on to go other places, haven't you? You've been Australia as well. Yeah, did Australia only for a little bit. Um, did about just under a month in Australia. It was originally meant to be a year. Um, but it just wasn't, I just didn't feel that. Well, you get that feeling in Thailand that you're away and you're doing something. Australia felt too similar to home, to the UK. Okay. Um, but I felt a bit out of place. So it felt like the UK, but without feeling at home. Yeah. So it was just a weird experience, Australia. Um, and the job I was doing out there wasn't for me, really. Um, I was doing pearl diving, which is like a form of commercial diving. And it was just, just hard work, to be honest. Just really grueling work um, and quite could be quite dangerous at times and I did it for I think I did about 10 days all in all if that um, and I made a lot of money in that 10 days and decided to get on the next boat out and then I think it was when I got back to Darwin which is where I was going from that job back to Darwin and I paid for a hostel I think I paid like 60 Australian dollars, which is like close to 40 quid, 40 pound. And the, ex the expense to stay somewhere for one night in Australia compared yeah. to staying in Thailand. So I think it was like the, the day or the next day after I actually booked a flight back to Thailand. Really? And, and you wasn't enjoying that, that job? No. Was, I mean, I've got a lot of respect for the people that do it, um, but it just wasn't for me. It, was, it wasn't like scuba diving. It's... You have the, I don't know if anyone's ever dived before, but you have the regulator in your mouth and the hose from the regulator basically goes all the way. It's a 40 meter hose that goes back to the boat and it's attached to a, com a uh, compressor. So it's called hooker diving. Um, and we were down at depths of about sort of 20 meters. Is that more dangerous to do it that way? Uh, I suppose there's a lot more risk because you've got, you're basically relying on that compressor to work on the boat. So if I'm down at 20 meters, and the compressor stops working, the belt comes off, there's a problem with it, there's, that basically turns off, my air goes off at 20 metres. You have a little backup reserve, but it doesn't last very long. Um, so you could probably make your way back to the surface, but not at the safest ascent rate. Um, and there was a lot of other factors as well. The, the people there were sort of, it's again going back to being in Australia and feeling sort of out of place and not at home. Um, you just happen to be with people who wasn't probably like-minded yeah, to exactly, you yeah. and when you're away from home and then other things aren't going your way then that just really adds to it doesn't it yeah so. it's a very macho sort of 
a very macho job and like the the people that I was with were quite sort of yeah macho and like yeah not for me really it sort of goes the opposite way with me I'm not sort of that kind of guy so since then you've also worked in Malaysia or well that was before was it or after that was uh, after wasn't that was it after yeah um worked in Malaysia in a in a hotel and you've worked uh Trinidad as well Trinidad and Tobago uh, well actually took the island of Tobago um that was the most recent job we've had and we've just returned from there now and then the plan is to to head out to Fiji in another f two three weeks just waiting on sort of paperwork to process and stuff so a nice little break back in the UK for now it's good the amount of places you've been to and I'm just kind of reeling them off but mm -hmm. obviously I've seen you go from working at Morrison's to then diving but like the different countries you've tried it's just crazy to think how many experiences you've got now yeah so you've got your plans for fiji soon but what's it like being back in england after so much time in trinidad so yeah did a month out there um it was the place is really nice tobago is an island it's amazing um the first night we got there we had like all the little meet and greets and all that sort of stuff your favorite thing um, yeah my favorite thing do you like small talk no nah. Not really. You're not a small talk guy. It's not too much. It's too much for me, yeah. Um, so we got through that, and then I get to my part where I get to go and sit on the beach and look out, look out to the sea. And it was coming up to sunset, um, and we'd heard stories of like this might be a turtle nesting site. This beach that we're on, it's called Manawar Bay. Um, so we're sitting there, and then all of a sudden, literally a few yards offshore, there's like turtle heads popping up. I think we saw something like 10 turtles in half an hour. They're just like their heads popping up for air and stuff. Um, and it's all little juvenile turtles that are obviously using that bay for shelter. Um, so that was why they were so there. So locals would see those yeah, all the time? Yeah, it's just a known thing that the turtles come up all the time and you see them all the time. And how, um, In all your years of diving, how many turtles, or how often would you see turtles anyway? You see them quite a lot on dive sites, especially like Thailand and all that. You yeah. see them a lot on dive sites. But you really rarely see them like from a boat popping up for air, um, and especially from a beach. I've never ever seen them from a beach before popping up for air. Um, so it was like a because there's a massive thing in like ocean conservation and all that sort of stuff where they don't really know where the babies go once they hatch. So it was like a little in my head like a breakthrough moment. I've never done a degree in anything marine biology or anything, but just from sort of what I know. Um, it was like a breakthrough thing of ah, there's this is where the juveniles come. Okay. Um, it was really actually quite interesting. So we saw those. At the same time, there was these huge pelicans that were diving down into the water and sort of like actually going into the water and grabbing fish and stuff. And then there was dolphins out further out as well, cruising across, which apparently is quite rare. Um, and you saw all this in a matter of ten minutes, long? just sitting on the beach. Yeah, on our first day. So we were there, and it was like. Oh, that was your first day, first day and you yeah, saw yeah. all these yeah so it was like oh this is the right job and all that and we're here to stay and and it's, it was like that for a few weeks well less than a few weeks maybe a week um until we realized how little actually practical diving and working outside we were going to be doing it was like i think i went diving twice jasmine went diving three times in the space of 
three weeks. So you went out there with your girlfriend Jasmine and you both expected to be diving probably daily. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's what you're used to. Yeah. And then instead you've been, what was you doing? You was I in was the in office. I was in the office doing Excel spreadsheets so for different... Nice yeah. transition there from yeah. diving to spreadsheets. Same yeah. thing, isn't it? So the guy employed us as title of dive operations managers, which and also marketing managers as part of the title as well. So it was a a job that we thought we were going to go into and have some kind of control over what we were doing, but it was just constant micro managing of everything that you were doing, um, and it was to the point of like actually like we'd be doing a Facebook post and they'd be telling us to change certain words um just really really strange um so yeah it didn't work out too well for us and even to the stage where you're sending spreadsheets back and things like yeah, that yeah so we had a big school group coming through and there was you know, need to go and count the equipment because we didn't have lots of equipment and it was a big group so we needed to rent some it was like go and count the equipment see what we need so that we can rent whatever we need so it's a clear thing really it's not like a, a debate we've got this many people we need this much equipment so i counted it once sent it over in a, in an email just listed what we need received that back i need all that information on an excel spreadsheet okay put it onto an excel spreadsheet send it over okay now i need all that information um well, with the budget and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so I had to go doing that, sent it back, and then he sent it back again. Are we sure we need this much for this and this much for this? And uh, and by this time, I'm getting really confused because... Well, it's hard to grow any business, like, yeah. regardless of where it is, but if you go and spend your time micromanaging people, it's not going to work. Yeah. But that, that obviously didn't work out, or you spent enough time there and you, you were done. How long was you there for? A month. A month. So pretty much... A month of the day, actually. Um, it wasn't for you? No. Because obviously you wanted to go out diving and if you're in yeah. doing spreadsheets. But look, what would your advice be to people who are starting out in diving? Because you can't necessarily be certain of a job, can you? No. And you have to travel out there. You have all your kit. Yeah. It's, it's a really big commitment, strange. really. But you can't... We were saying before, like, one thing that I've noticed in the past is when you go to a new job, I'm sure most people leave uh, who are new, like within their first couple of weeks, yeah. because I think we've all done it where we've gone to a job and put, okay, this isn't for me. But how do you cope with like that kind of pressure and commitment when you're traveling the world to do your work? It's hard because it's, it's just a strange industry because you've got such a skilled job and everyone's aware that in diving the pay isn't like amazing very rarely you'll get a job that pays you the same sort of rate that you get paid in the UK for things. Um, that's obviously that being said, you don't really get paid for diving as an instructor in the UK either. It's really, really poor in the UK. Um, so you got all those skills that you need to have. If you look on any diving jobs board page, you'll see like requests for people with four or five languages. They can drive boats, they can fix engines, they can do all sorts of stuff and will pay you accommodation and some rice and beans and the odd salary here and there it's it's the there's no sort of industry sort of standard or union sort of thing where you can actually make sure that you, you're treated fairly so it's a bit of a risk but do you think that needs to be put in place and is that like a gap that you've spotted and think 
someone yeah. needs to come in and regulate. You've got Paddy as a protection for diving regulations, yeah. but you need something for where, okay, I can go over and do a job. Same way like hotels have regulations yeah. and um, obviously ratings and stuff. It's a lot easier now with the internet. We need something for diving where yeah. you can commit to going out and then... Yeah, it's safe for the for the instructor going out as well as it's safe for the dive centre because everything's just geared towards the dive centre and they've got all the power really. So it would be nice, but it's one of those things I think it's a bit of a... It's wishful thinking, I think. Yeah, you just need something where they need to be accountable. And also, like, that way you can find out if it's a good match before you go out there for both parties. But that aside, you just mentioned about how the pay is not great. Why is that? Because I see, from what I see, my perspective is scuba diving's underrated and underestimated by people where a lot of people probably think they can do it, but... If you really see it, it's a it's a difficult skill. Not just that, you've got people's lives at risk that you're responsible for. And then we've also mentioned that you've got to travel and really commit to these jobs. Why is it not being why are you not being paid more for that, do you think? I don't know, I think it's sort of the glamour of it as well. That sort of that's part of the payoff is you get to live on an island in Thailand or Malaysia or wherever. Um and I think the sort of a your privilege to be doing this job sort of yeah. attitude that goes around and there's not like millions and millions being made by dive centers either so it's not like saying the dive centers are all walking away with this tons of cash because they're not either it's not like okay yeah you know so it might be that the money isn't there to pay the instructor to be quite honest as well um because you go to places in thailand in um, Mexico, these places that churn out courses and deals and packages and stuff, and the money isn't there to pay the instructors as much as we as we'd like it either. So. And I guess there's a lot of demand with people wanting to do diving, as in they want to be dive instructors. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a gap year thing now to do your dive master. Um, it's really really popular because I've I've working in Thailand for three four years, seen over sort of 20, 30 dive masters come through the shop that I was working working at and I can count maybe two, three that have gone on to actually be still working today. Um, it's a big sort of, like I said, a gap year attraction now. Yeah, more of a hobby rather than yeah. career driven, or yeah. some people are at least. Yeah. You've never complained about pay either, just to put that out there. It's something that you don't do it for the money either. Yeah, exactly. It's a lifestyle choice, really. Um, so, as much as I'd like to be paid more, no, I'm not gonna. Yeah, you didn't get into it for money. It's not the yeah. make or break. No. I just feel like divers do get underestimated a little bit, especially yeah. seeing having more of an insight watching you. Um, like over the instructors as well that underestimate diving. So it's the turnover of instructors coming out again. That, that's another thing that sort of ties into the. The gap year dive master. There's a lot of gap year instructors as well that go through, finish their dive master and get reeled in by the dive centre owners to do their IDC or by the course director to do their IDC, and they know they're probably never ever going to use it again. Um, so there's that many instructors as well that if you have a problem, if you need to stand up for your rights, if there's you know standards issues or there's pay issues or whatever, there's always someone willing to step into your shoes so that you are quite 
disposable as an instructor. So it can be a little bit cutthroat just yeah, yeah. in that industry anyway. Yeah, yeah. What's it like being back in England now then? And cause, because you've been back and forth anyway, haven't you? You aren't, you aren't someone who's yeah, been away like, for years. Yeah, I'm not like full-time abroad. Um, after I did my initial sort of Vietnam and then my dive master internship and all that sort of stuff, I ended up getting a really good relationship with the dive centre in Thailand that I worked for. Um, and ended up going back there for another sort of three, four years. So that was in seasons, was it? Would you yeah. do October until end of April, May in Thailand, and then the rest of the time back in England, back at Morrison. So you've been back and forth though. You haven't just stayed abroad. So how's it been having to keep adapting back to English lifestyle? I like it. I like the difference between being in Thailand and being here or being wherever I am. I did three four years in in thailand and um it's weird the difference between being there and being here you don't it's almost like when you're in one place it's like the other place doesn't exist yeah like it's almost like thailand never happened and then when i go back to thailand it's almost like this never happened it's quite strange aside from hours. the aside from the weather what are the things that stick out to you if anything like when you come back is there something that you're like oh, i miss this from thailand or um Greg sausage rolls. Greg's oh, yeah, when you're in Thailand, yeah. you miss, miss. Weird, you have weird little cravings. So food's a big one, um, but then it goes both ways as well because Thai food is amazing. Yeah. If I could get like a salmonized red curry now. Oh. So explain what salmonized is to the Salmon people. Salmonized was uh, when I was working for a dive center in Thailand, Hidden Depths over the road. We had a little restaurant, and we get all our lunch and stuff from there and. It looked like it was out of their house, didn't yeah, it? It was, it was just a, a little table and chairs outside, but the food was amazing. And yeah. when I first came over to visit you, it was how much did we get a meal for? Like two quid and Something two like pounds. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. I've just got back from Kotao myself, myself in uh, from when I stayed in Thailand for nine months, and I can notice a lot of differences. But I think the simple lifestyle is what I love about Thailand, yeah. and then. The fact of traffic and little things like that when you come back to England. These are all things that you forget about when you're yeah, there. Yeah, just like, why can't I overtake? <laughs> yeah. I can clearly get around you. Well, so. yeah, people are always overtaking yeah. now, but yeah, that's a whole other story. So you did work back in England as well, diving, didn't you? Yeah, I did. What was it, like 10 months or something in, um, in Birmingham in the, at the NEC called the Bear Grylls Adventure. And uh, did, yeah, 10 months there, working in an aquarium, taking people diving, basically. So it was quite fun. Yeah, very different, obviously, to diving abroad, but yeah. it's nice to be able to come back and and dive somewhere here. That was it for me, because usually when I come back, I'm stuck back in Morrison's, um, which I always say, really, is probably the best job I've ever had, the fruit and veg at Morrison's. Oh, you definitely know how to rotate it and I stuff, enjoy don't it. you? I really enjoy that job. There's something therapeutic to it. To you really do enjoy left. it? Yeah, yeah. It's honestly probably the best job I've ever had. But I don't think you would have said that all the, those years ago, especially when you started stressing over it. I think it's always a different thing when you come back and your end goal is to go and work abroad again. Yeah. You think that's fair to say that you probably wouldn't have said that a few years ago? Yeah, because obviously I was in a different position and I was sort of... You have the stresses of being a manager and all that sort of stuff. And now that I'm, well, when I work there these days, it's literally just to fill fruit and veg and have a laugh and talk about football with people. And yeah. 
and you still take pride in it, don't you? Like yeah, do it exactly. to the best of your ability, try and enjoy yeah. it and then plan for yeah. for the goals that you've got in the future. Yeah. But Bear Grylls was the main job this time and it was interesting to see how that world works because it's an aquarium and there's all different sort of opinions and stereotypes and all sort of going with aquariums. It was just interesting to be a part of it and see how it all works and runs and, and stuff. So. Is it more of like a conveyor belt in comparison to what you do? Yeah, okay. definitely. So it's a, just a one-off experience with people. So it's not a full course. You're spending two hours with people. And the company that owns the Bear Grylls Adventure are used to like theme parks. So it was very sort of roller coastery. You get people in and then... Do you feel like your game skills from being there or...? Yeah, you just sort of learn how to be like a... You turn into a bit of a robot, really, because people are having sort of real emotional breakdowns and stuff in front of you in the in the water when they can't go underwater they can't breathe or they can't clear their mask or and you just go into this sort of robot mode where you get people through it you, you just know and, you know yeah. the things to to do yeah you just take, to take all the emotion out of it from your side if you if you're like i don't want to say if you're a good instructor you can do that but if you do it that much in your experience then you you can sort of take the emotion out of it your side and just sort of focus on them and get them through it is that different to when you're teaching people in Thailand did you do you seem to get more panic divers you just build more of a relationship with people in Thailand because you you're out with them for a full day on a boat and yeah. you're talking to them and you you've got usually one-on-one -on -one or two or three to one at the most where I was working and there at the Bay Reels eventually it was six people every two hours and you've got marks to hit for your timings to go smoothly and for the next group to come in smoothly and all sorts of stuff so that's interesting though because it shows that you've got the attributes to calm people down and that's what you're when you've got more time with them that's what you're doing and then when you haven't got the time with them you're having to use and develop other skills to help yeah. calm them down even though you do that abroad as well yeah it's happening more often obviously in england so talking of the future you mentioned fiji What's the plan there and what's your kind of... I know you get this question probably all the time, but what's your goal after there? Or people are always asking what's in the future yeah. when you're trying to live the present probably, but... Yeah, yeah. so Fiji's going to be um, another another hotel. It's a private resort on an island. Um, it's called Treasure Island. So Perfect. quite fitting. We might move yeah. the podcast out there, Treasure yeah, Island. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, private resort. Again, it's a dive water sports manager's job role um, and it's diving as well as like jet skis and kayaks and sort of like I think they've got surfboards um, paddle boards all that stuff as well so it's a bit more than we used to um, but I think when you can work in diving and you know all the sort of liability and stuff that goes with diving I think it transfers quite well to all the other stuff so sounds exciting yeah what would you? What kind of advice would you give to people who want to get out of their nine till five job and try something different like you did, and maybe go go travelling abroad? And it's hard, really, because it's sort of one of those things that you, if you want to do it, you'll do it. Yeah. And it's not always that easy for people. I was quite lucky the way it felt for me, really. Um, I had some I had support getting started, and then I just sort of took the ball and ran with it from there, really. So. If you can get yourself started in some way on a little trip, I think I paid for Vietnam out of a one month's wages at Morrison's. Um, and that was like everything, spending money, everything. So if you can get, I think it's about getting a taste for it. 
It's like when you want to go on a roller coaster or a big water slide at a water park. The first time you go on is always the scariest, and then you want to keep going back up and yeah. back down the slide. And the way you've done that is obviously like a calculated risk because people think that they will lose everything. And I suppose when you're coming out of a career, yeah. it can be pretty daunting, but there are ways that you can try things out. For you, it was that gap year type trip and then going on to where you found something that was up your street. Yeah, there's always there's always a job there doing something. It just depends how sort of how prissy people are about what jobs they do. When you when people say, Oh, what are you gonna do when you come home and stuff so I went from diving every day in Thailand with manta rays and whale sharks to a week later I was on the deli at Morrison's filling the cheese salad. Like it, it depends on what you want to do. For sure. Right. One last thing I wanted to mention, which is uh, nothing to do with that. But can you tell us about this conversation you had with your dad about speedos? Oh, this is, must have been, <laughs> when was this? We're going back a good 10 years now. I must have been, probably no, a, bit, a bit longer actually. I must have been 15, 16. Do- um, and he had a, he was wearing speedos everywhere. Does everyone call them speedos? I know I in know. Australia speedos, they call them dick tugs. Dick tugs in Australia, budgie smugglers. There's all different names. But every holiday from when I was a kid, he'd wear these things. And in the end, I was with my sister and my mum shopping somewhere. And we were going to get him some some trunks, swimming trunks, that's what else we call Um And me and my sister just sort of looked at each other and put our foot down and we're like, we're not part of this anymore we want to sit down we need to sit down and talk about this and we bought him some shorts some like board short style swimwear and then we went to went to him the one night and sat him down and had to talk him through it and say you can't wear them anymore and what was his reaction to that well he was this is genuine this is was his genuine concern about not wearing trunks anymore the only concern he had was that he he said, "Well, I can't get, I can't get the speed up in the pool," and that was his genuine reaction. He oh, couldn't no get shit. the speed up in the swimming pool um, when he was competing with himself doing laps. So, oh shit, that's hilarious! I had to include that. It's probably got nothing to do with diving, but it made me chuckle the other day. So I didn't, you know, I didn't know if it's good advice for people out there who need to tell someone to stop wearing speedos. Just gotta face the problem head on. I think goes for everything so there you go more advice from Chris Facey thanks for joining us no problem and uh, we'll have to do it again but maybe on USC or boxing or something like that next time anything right peace